An artist once painted a gloomy picture. It portrayed a, a mountain scene at dusk. Kind of close your eyes and picture this with me. The painting was filled with deep shadows, ominous silhouettes of wind-blown trees, and a sky streaked with blacks and grays. Perched high on the slopes of the mountain, almost unnoticed at first glance, was a dark, mysterious cabin. The whole scene was cold and haunting. When one of the artist's friends commented about the eeriness of the painting, the artist was not offended at all. In fact, taking a brush in hand, he said, Watch this. <laughs> and with a brush stroke of yellow paint, he put light in the windows of the cabin. And instantly, the whole picture changed. No longer was it a painting of an empty, lifeless cabin on a scary night. Now it was the painting of a warm, inviting cabin, beckoning the weary traveler to find rest and refuge. What a difference one brush stroke from the artist made. Such is the nature of our story here this morning. Chapters 18 and 19 of John's Gospel, he records the events surrounding Jesus' arrest, trial, death, and burial. And he paints a pretty gloomy picture indeed. All is dark. It's rather lifeless, cheerless, hopeless. But then we read of Jesus' resurrection in chapter 20, and instantly, in a single brush stroke from God, the whole story is completely changed. No longer is it a story of despair and defeat. Now it's a story of victory and triumph. What a difference. One event the resurrection makes. Let's take a closer look at verses 1-18 through 18 of John chapter 20. The resurrection story from Mary Magdalene's perspective. And just see how much difference the resurrection really makes today. Follow along in your Bible as I read today's text. John chapter 20. We pick it up with verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put Him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still do not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put Him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell, him where, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. 
She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that He had said these things to her. As we unpack these 18 verses together, it seems to me that we can summarize today's story under four main headings, beginning with Jesus living brought conversion. Jesus living brought conversion to Mary's life. Verse 1 begins, early on the first day of the week while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. So here we're introduced to the main character in our story today. That's Mary Magdalene. Now, Mary actually steps into the limelight on five different occasions during Jesus' life and ministry. What do we know about her. I put some notes there in your notes today. She's most likely from the town of Magdala on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, hence her name, Mary Magdalene. To distinguish her, by the way, from the other Marys, and there were quite a few of them, Mary the mother of Jesus, Mary the sister of Lazarus, and so on. She's introduced to us in Luke 8 and verse 2 as one of the women who traveled with Jesus during His ministry years and who supported Jesus and His apostles. And so she was evidently a woman of some independent financial means. She was present at the cross when Jesus died and watched as Joseph and Nicodemus buried Jesus in the garden tomb. She then came to that tomb very early on the first Easter Sunday morning only to find the tomb opened and Jesus' body missing as we discovered already in today's text. And she had the distinction, by the way, of being the very first person to whom Jesus appeared following His resurrection. But the point I want to emphasize the most about Mary Magdalene this morning is her conversion. It's really not found here in today's text, but the Bible tells us that prior to her meeting Jesus, Mary was actually demon-possessed by seven demons all at the same time. Now, whatever else we might be able to gather from that fact, it certainly points out that Mary Magdalene's conversion was distinctive and unusual. I mean, the change in her life was dramatic. What she was before she encountered Jesus and what she was after she encountered Jesus were as different as night and day. And so Jesus' living brought conversion to Mary's life. Second, Jesus dying brought confusion. Jesus dying brought confusion to Mary. We pick up our text with the latter part of verse 1 and verse 2. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put Him. I mean, can you sense the confusion in Mary's heart? I mean, she certainly did not expect... The resurrection. As a matter of fact, she reported to Simon Peter and the other disciple, which by the way is John, that they, 
meaning the Romans or the Jews, had moved Jesus' body. That was the only logical conclusion in her confused state of mind. Now, verses 3-9, through as we read earlier, are an account of Peter and John's running to the empty tomb to investigate Mary's disturbing report. And John, being the younger disciple, (laughs) got there first, he saw. They saw that the tomb was empty. They saw the abandoned grave clothes. But notice that they too were just as confused as Mary about all this. Look again at verse 9. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So, what did Peter and John do at this point? Verse 10 tells us, Then the disciples went back to their homes. You've got to be kidding me! I read that and I go, What? I have to look at it again. I mean, here they are at the scene of the resurrection. Of course, they don't know that yet. And and they look and they don't see Jesus and they go, huh, let's go home and watch the ball game. You know? It's crazy. What then did Mary Magdalene do? Well, look at her continued confusion, verses 11 through 13. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put Him. I mean, so distraught, so discouraged, so confused was Mary that through her tears, even when she looked into the empty tomb and she saw and talked to two angels who were sitting there, she still did not put two and two together. But I think the clinching proof of her confusion must certainly be in verses 14 and 15. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? I think she was getting tired of that question. (laughs) Why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. You see, the empty tomb wasn't enough. The abandoned grave clothes weren't enough. The conversation with two angels wasn't enough. Even a face-to-face encounter with the risen Lord Himself wasn't enough to lift Mary Magdalene out of her confusion. Her vision was blurred. Her eyes were blinded because of her grief and her despair over Jesus' death. So Jesus dying brought confusion to Mary's life. Thirdly, Jesus rising brought consolation. Jesus rising brought consolation to Mary. Look again at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward Him and cried in Aramaic, Rabboni! Meaning teacher, an address of respect and reverence. Recognition. Mary. I mean, Do you notice that? Just the speaking of her name was all that it took to open Mary Magdalene's eyes to see that Jesus was truly alive. And in an instant, all of her confusion was gone. Rabboni, she cried out in recognition of her teacher, her forgiver, and her leader. Can you just imagine the excitement and the emotion that must have welled up inside of Mary right at that moment in time? I can't fathom how she must have felt right at that instant when all of a sudden the light bulb went off and she goes, whoa, he's alive. 
alive. He's alive. And so Jesus rising brought consolation to Mary's life. And then finally, Jesus ascending brought conviction. Jesus ascending brought conviction to Mary. Verses 17 and 18, Jesus said, Do not hold on to Me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to My brothers and tell them, I am returning to My Father and your Father, to My God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that He had said these things to her. Now, whatever Jesus' statement, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to my Father, may mean. (laughs) And by the way, Bible scholars have a variety of opinions on this. The point is that Jesus had some unfinished business to tend to, and He instructs Mary Magdalene that she has some business to tend to as well. Go instead to my brothers and tell them. Isn't that interesting? Jesus was commissioning Mary to be the very first one to share the good news of the resurrection with others. And notice how she shares this news. (laughs) Do you notice what she said? I think perhaps there's a good possibility that maybe Jesus might conceivably be alive perchance. Is that what she said? No. No! She said with conviction, I have seen the Lord! Quite a contrast to the crying, weeping, and confused lady that we met a little earlier in today's story. And so Jesus ascending brought conviction to Mary's life. Well, let's look at the Scripture. Now, what lessons can we learn from our study together of these verses and of Mary's story this morning. Well, I'm sure that there are many take-homes from today's text, but I want to zero in on just three of them today. Three lessons that we can apply to our everyday lives from Mary Magdalene's story in John 20. Number one, of course, I see here a lesson about resurrection. A lesson about resurrection. I mean, come on. Why do we even celebrate this day today? I mean, just how important is the resurrection anyway? What difference does it really make whether or not Jesus actually rose from the dead? Well, first of all, let me tell you this. It made all the difference in the world to Mary Magdalene. Would you agree? I mean, in verse 11, before she knew about the resurrection, she's a distraught and confused woman. But in verse 18, after she knows about the resurrection, she is a determined and confident woman. Just like the light in the windows of the cabin made all the difference in that painting that I mentioned earlier, so the resurrection made all of the difference in the world to Mary Magdalene. Now may I suggest that the same is true for us this morning? The resurrection makes all the difference. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, we would have no hope. Did you notice the wording, by the way, of verse 9? Let's read it out loud together. Would you read it with me? They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Don't miss those words. Jesus 
had to rise from the dead. He had to. If He didn't rise again, then He was not the Son of God. If He didn't rise again, He was not our forgiver and leader. If He didn't rise again, our Christian faith is nothing but a hoax. We might as well close up our Bibles and lock up this building and sell it, if we could in today's market, and eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. End of story. (laughs) But Jesus did rise from the dead. Amen? Amen. Alright. All the difference in the world. So he goes back to that whole thing. They call it the trilemma. When it comes to Jesus, there is no uh, uncommitted position regarding Jesus Christ. Can't go there. He is one of three things. He is either a liar, or He is a lunatic, or He is Lord of all. You're left with no other choices but those three. Maybe He's a liar. Maybe everything that Jesus said is just a pack of lies. <laughs> maybe, maybe He's the master deceiver of all deceivers. Everything He said was just a, a master plan of lies and deceit. And He's a liar. Or maybe He's a lunatic. <laughs> maybe the man was a crazy man. Maybe he was self-delusional and in all of that delusion he shared it with some others who were just as crazy or more so than he was and believed it and swallowed it hook, line, and sinker and followed him and even gave their lives for a hoax because some mental case thought he was Lord. (laughs) So is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is He the Lord of all? Yes! The resurrection confirms that the third point of view is the only logical conclusion that we can come to unless we check our brains at the door. We must believe it. Here's how the Apostle Paul put it, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If we preach that Christ was raised from death, how can some of you say that the dead will not be raised to life? If they won't be raised to life, Christ Himself was not raised to life. And if Christ was not raised to life, our message is worthless and so is your faith. If the dead won't be raised to life, we have told lies about God by saying that He raised Christ to life when He really did not. So if the dead won't be raised to life, Christ was not raised to life. Unless Christ was raised to life, your faith is useless and you are still living in your sins and those people who died after putting their faith in Him are completely lost. If our hope in Christ is good only for this life, we are worse off than anyone else. Hmm. I put up here on the screen before you pictures of two tombs. I've been to both. The one up in the upper left hand corner is Napoleon's tomb. In Paris. Now, I don't know if you can tell by that little illustration there, but can you see the balcony that goes around that? The only way you can get in, you can't get on the ground floor without permission. The only way you can get in to see Napoleon's sarcophagus, his coffin, thats he's actually buried in that thing. It's not very big, notice it was short. I don't want to go there with short jokes. But, but uh, <laughs> you know, here's this short little coffin. 
The only way you can get in is you can get in on that balcony, which forces you. Here's how vain and proud this man was. It forces you to do what? To bend over. To look at his coffin. Duh. Why? Because he wanted you to pay homage to him. To bow. Because there was no other Napoleon. Just him. That's how vain this guy was. The second tomb that I show you in the bottom right-hand corner is the garden tomb in Jerusalem. I've been there too. It's amazing. I remember the first time I stepped in that tomb, the first thing that struck me was I thought, there's nothing to see here. And then the second thing that struck me was, there's nothing to see here. (laughs) That's the point. See, you can go look at Napoleon's body because it's still there. The one thing that sets Jesus Christ apart from every other great leader this world has ever known is that you will not find His body in His tomb. Because He is alive. The tomb is empty. And whatever else we may believe about the resurrection, you have to address the fact, where is His body? It's gone. Because He took it with Him to heaven. And someday He'll be back again as our risen Savior and as our Lord. Let me ask you this question. What do you believe about the resurrection? Don't don't give me, oh, you know, I haven't given it much thought. What? You haven't given it much thought? Hello? Anybody home up there? If you haven't given it much thought, you better give it much thought because your eternity hangs in the balance on what you have to say and what you believe about the resurrection. You've got to figure this one out. You owe it to yourself. You've got to answer this question. Like I said earlier, liar, lunatic, or Lord of all. So first, I see here a lesson about resurrection. Number two, I see a lesson here about relationship. A lesson about relationship. In all of her confusion and despair, what was it that finally got Mary Magdalene's attention and turned things around for her? Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. Jesus called her by name. And in turn, Mary responds, Rabboni. She instantly recognizes Him as her teacher and leader. You know what that says to me? That says more than anything that Jesus desires a personal one-on-one relationship with me. He knows my name. He calls me His own. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, please don't miss this. The essence of Christian faith is not religion. The essence of Christian faith is relationship. It's not about rules and regulations and rituals. It's about a personal relationship between me as a born-again disciple and Jesus as the forgiver and the leader of my life. He even calls me His Friend! Wow! And you know something? Jesus wants to be your personal forgiver and leader too. He calls your name. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. He wants to be your friend today. Now that is good news. 
If you have never established a personal relationship with Jesus, you can do that this very day. Simple as ABC. I put it there in your notes. A, you need to acknowledge your sin and your need of a Savior. You need to say, I know I'm a sinner. I know I have rebelled against God. There's sin in my life that separates me from Him. And I can't save myself. I need a Savior, Jesus Christ. B, believe that Jesus is the Son of God and put your full confidence in Him and His finished work on the cross to save you. There is no other way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. You must believe that. And C, you must confess before God and others your commitment to be a Christ follower. That confession comes with your lips as you declare before God and before others your faith in Jesus Christ. And that comes with your life as for the rest of your life, every day of your life, until you die or Jesus comes again, you live that life to His glory and to His honor. So second, I see a lesson here about Relationship. Number three, I see a lesson here about responsibility. A lesson about responsibility. Somehow I cannot overlook the fact that as soon as Mary Magdalene had seen Jesus, He told her in verse 17, Go! Tell them! And verse 18 confirms, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. I mean, there's a lesson to be learned here, surely, about responsibility. Our responsibility to tell others the good news about our risen, forgiven, and forgiver and leader, Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've heard this story, but I heard the story years ago about a, a small church in a neighborhood, just like we're in a neighborhood here. Houses around that small church began to grow. And the neighbors took up a petition and took it to the local government to ask the government to stop that little church from singing and preaching because it was annoying the neighbors. It was a big thing. It actually made national news. And when it came time for testimony on the case, they were trying to decide whether to try the case or not, the star witness on behalf of the church was a Jewish rabbi. Isn't that interesting? Who stood up before the courtroom and said surprisingly, if I believed, as do these Christians, that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, I would shout it from the rooftops and from every corner in this town and there would be no way that anyone could ever silence my testimony. Are we that excited about sharing the good news with others? God has placed us where we are, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, in our schools, among our circle of family and friends, so that we will tell others the good news. I have seen the risen Lord. He is alive. And did you know God has no other plan? It's all up to you. Oh, God could do it some other way, I suppose. But He entrusted you, He entrusted me with the incredible responsibility to share the good news with those who are lost. So third, I see a lesson here about 
responsibility. Three lessons then from Mary Magdalene's story here in John chapter 20. A lesson about resurrection. We've got to figure that one out. <laughs> A lesson about relationship. Jesus knows you by name and wants a relationship with you. And a lesson about responsibility to tell the good news of the risen Lord to everyone we meet. The resurrection difference. This morning we've taken a closer look at Jesus' resurrection from Mary Magdalene's perspective. Interesting, huh? John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Now, 